0: To claim your special offer, come along and meet me and Phil at the conference. We look forward to seeing you there. And I hope you enjoyed this episode of Shares for Beginners. Hold up. Shares for Beginners.
2: Weekend Watchlist. G'day and welcome back to Shares for Beginners Weekend Watchlist, where we'll be taking a close look at an individual company, sector or ETF that you may wish to consider for your watchlist. It's not a recommendation to buy, but a way for you to learn how experts screen for value. Joining me today is Scott Phillips from The Motley Fool. G'day, Scott. Scott.
3: G'day, Phil. Thank you for having me, mate. It's a pleasure to be joining you.
2: Yeah, thanks for coming back. So this is an unusual one we're going to be talking about because this is not actually going to be on the, listed on the ASX for too much longer, but we're going to be talking about Sydney Airport. ASX code is SYD. Obviously, it's going to be SYD. Nothing else really, is it? <laughs> so tell us a little bit about it. It's a history and it's over 100 years old, this company, really, isn't it?
3: It is. So Sydney Airport is pretty much the beginning of aviation in Australia. You can take its routes all the way back there to effectively, you know, grass landing strips through to the airport, as we know, and some of us love it and some of us don't these days, depending on how close you are to the flight path in Sydney or, frankly, how desperate you are to get back on a plane after the uh, after the COVID period of the last 18 months or so. It has been an extraordinary story. Obviously, airports at their beginning were government entities and Governments then decided eventually, belatedly perhaps, that they could make some money by flogging off some valuable infrastructure assets, and Sydney Airport's one of those, to the private sector who would pay a pretty penny for doing that. In fact, in 2002, Macquarie Bank, back as it was then, Macquarie Group now, bought a 99-year lease for Sydney Airport for $5.6 million. Billion dollars. That was the Macquarie story, and
2: it was considered a monster at the time. <laughs>
3: it was a fortune at the time. People
2: thought that they were a bit crazy for doing that.
3: Exactly, exactly. So that was the that was the beginning. Then Macquarie kind of spun that off, and I won't get too technical, but effectively made it its own company. It was originally called Macquarie Airports, and there was more than one Macquarie Airports. Then sold off. The other airport asset it owns and became Sydney Airport, the listed company that, as you say, Phil, trades under the code SYD for just a little bit longer. Now, it was considered, and maybe we'll get into uh, why that consideration might have been a little overdone, it was considered just about the very best infrastructure asset in the country possibly the world. That might be taking a little bit of a long bow, but certainly the best in the country, given the business that it was. It was effectively a monopoly asset. You couldn't take off or land a commercial jet within a thousand kilometers of Sydney, other than using Sydney Airport. Charged a pretty penny for rent, including car parking. We can get to that as well. But it was considered one of the very, very best assets in the country and probably the world. And as it became Sydney Airport and continued to go from strength to strength, at least pre-COVID, it was a very much a trophy asset that many people had in their portfolios.
2: So it's got a lease, that 99 year lease is what got uh, 76 years left to run on it. So it's still going to be generating cash, well, quite significant amounts of cash for a long time coming.
3: It really, really will. I mean, if you think about the number of flights that are likely to land in Sydney, the amount of money they can charge for those flights to land in Sydney, you flying over the harbour bridge or over the south coast or in from the west, it is prime real estate, literally in terms of real estate, but in terms of landing a plane and going to somewhere likely the city, one of the closest airports to the city, by the way, in the world, most if you've been to Heathrow or to Paris or Melbourne even, you know, it's a long, long way from the city, one of the best located assets. Now, There is going to be a second airport, the Western Sydney Airport, which is going to be opened, and that might take some flights away, a little bit like Avalon has in Melbourne, for example, if you're familiar with that, or the multiple airports in London. So it is not necessarily a monopoly asset forever, but as you rightly point out, it is most likely to remain the premier airline asset or airport asset, even when the Western Sydney Airport opens. I imagine the slots will fill both of those airports pretty quickly. But it is that monopoly nature. It is the fact you either can't go anywhere else or nowhere else close that allows the airport to charge very, very high prices. And that makes it a wonderful cash-generating machine, as you say, Phil. If you think 20, 30, 40, 50 years out, I don't imagine there'll be too many less planes landing in Sydney. Again, the price you can charge is pretty high. So it's a pretty dependable asset. Again, although the last 18 months have shown us that it's not exactly bulletproof. There are some things that can happen to maybe change the story a little bit for the owners of Sydney Airport.
2: So tell us about the deal that's coming into place at the moment. It's basically being taken private. It's not going to be on the ASX anymore. It's a consortium. Tell us about the consortium and and how they're going about this deal.
3: Right. So this is kind of a a reasonably common thing and becoming more common now. There are businesses out there, I want to say businesses, accommodations of private equity funds, so those people who take money and invest it in private businesses, but also superannuation funds and what the Americans call pension funds, who are looking for assets that are not necessarily the same sort of operating businesses that we tend to buy on the ASX. They're not the Woolworths or the BHPs or the CSLs or the News Corps. Sydney Airport is a business, sure, but it's largely an operating asset. I mean, the asset itself is what the business is. In a way that Woolworths or BHP or CSL really aren't. They produce things, they make things, they add value to things. Some of them are location-specific. Of course, you have to mine where the minerals are. But Sydney Airport is very much an asset that happens to have an operating structure kind of over the top of it. And by operating structure, of course, I mean things like the car parking, the rent, the cleaning, the ticket collecting, all the things that happen in an airport. The business is the business, but the asset is really what's valuable there. And there's plenty of those super funds and pension funds that are frankly looking for really, really reliable cash flow generation, which these airports are usually considered to be. And toll roads, by the way, are the same sort of thing, generally speaking. They're very reliable, generally really cash generative. In other words, they throw off heaps of cash to their owners. And if you're a pension fund or a super fund and you're trying to manage your mix of assets, we know that as we have balanced superannuation funds, for example, there's some cash, some property, some shares, everything in between. These assets are becoming an increasingly popular way for these pension funds and super funds to have part of their portfolios in these reliable assets that in theory are less volatile than shares, potentially give you more money than cash in the bank though. And so it's a really nice position for them to hold, which makes some sense. And they're doing that $22.8 billion. So Macquarie paid five and a half and a bit, 22.8 these days, um, 19 years later, it is going to be an all-time high price for the Sydney airport shares if, if it does go ahead. So it is a heck of a thing But again, as I said, it's it's an important business for the buyers. We are seeing many, many more of these. So many assets being taken private now because they make sense to be held in those funds, in those hands, potentially at least more valuable in those hands than it is on the share market.
2: So in one way, it's a good thing for people who've got a superannuation account, but it's going to be the only way eventually that you're going to be able to access infrastructure. So- how do you see that and also what it means for the governance from being a private company as opposed to a uh, listed company?
3: Oh, this is a really good question, actually. So in terms of infrastructure assets, I think you know it's always individual circumstances, as we say, with all financial advice. I don't expect Sydney Airport and the likes of Transurban and others to actually deliver particularly fantastic results. I think there are going to be many, many better ways to make money on the stock market if you're looking to maximise your total return but not everybody is. Some people want some protection from volatility. Sydney Airport makes sense. Some people want big amounts of income. And what I didn't mention, of course, is Sydney Airport's paid a really, really nice, it's not a dividend, it's called distribution, but for our purposes, let's call them the same thing. We're not going to get into the weeds of that today. Paid a very nice distribution for many, many years. So if you're looking for a less volatile asset with a good cash flow, then Sydney Airport makes a whole lot of sense. And some people will absolutely be sorry to see it go because they'll now look around and say, well, hang on, I own Sydney Airport. What now should I invest in for the same characteristics? And that, as you say, with infrastructure assets going from the market, that's a big deal. In terms of the governance, I guess we can look at it probably half a dozen different ways, but just for a couple. The first thing is there's no need for the business to be run differently privately than publicly. The good news, if you like, for governance of a public company is both the stock market and the corporate regulator. ASX and ASIC, to use a couple of acronyms, they require companies to meet certain criteria to be listed on the ASX. And so that does impose a bare minimum, if you like, of governance. That being said, there are plenty of private companies that have absolutely thrived. Linfox is one I can think of. Visi, the box maker, is another. It's possible to be private and still be a really successful, well-run business. And in this case, it's going to be a private business but owned by a consortium. So they, in theory, will have a private board and an oversight of management as any owner should. So it need not be any different, but it is certainly a different set of rules and regulations. And I should say, too, for those thinking about public policy, when Sydney Airport's on the market and everyone gets to see their profits, we can complain about the car parking prices, which are astronomical, <laughs> and see so that in the context of the profit they're making. Once this becomes a private business again, it's much, much harder to look at that and say, well, look at how much money they're making. Is it legitimate? Is it genuine? Is it reasonable? Much harder to do that when this company's private. So no no necessarily bad things, but it does make it a little less transparent, a little less available to the average person, punter and financial analyst alike, uh, to understand what exactly is going on at Sydney Airport.
2: So let's got, have a look at this now as an asset class, because I keep on trying to bang on about asset classes, and people's eyes glaze over as soon as I talk about, <laughs> yeah, <that's laughs> about asset classes. But infrastructure is an asset class, and this is a, an example par excellence, Like and like you say, toll roads and so forth just give us a bit of an overview about when people are looking at their portfolios, what part infrastructure can play in that without, of course, giving any kind of advice?
3: Yeah, exactly. Look, that's a wonderful question as well. So, when you think about building a portfolio, you've got to think about, and we won't do advice, but you should think for yourself or ask your financial advisor to think about things like your needs and objectives, but importantly, your risk tolerance and your comfort with variability in terms of total returns. Now, some people will say, I don't care how volatile my portfolio is. I just want the maximum possible return over 20 years. And if that was the case, you'd invest in the highest growth businesses you could find and do that. Other people say, you know what? I kind of feel like I want to invest in shares because I want to get more than cash in the bank. But gee, I had it every time the stock market falls 1%. I'd rather have a group of companies who won't move as much as the rest of the market, who aren't as exposed to economic cycles, for example, or the volatility of investor sentiment. And then there's plenty of people in between who say, I'll have a bit of everything, please. I'll have a bit of volatility smoothing, but I still want to get pretty good returns. And so you make that trade-off, and that's a continuum. And again, your financial advisor is the best person to help you understand that. But for investors, infrastructure is a wonderful asset if you're looking for a bit of volatility protection and some nice income. And the reason is simply that, and again, I keep referring to COVID because it is remarkably unexpected and the impact was unprecedented. But pre-COVID, Sydney Airport was one of the most reliable assets in the world because, you know, it sounds obvious in hindsight, right? But at the time we said, well, why would planes not keep landing in Sydney Airport? when would people not want to travel by plane to and from the state or the city? When would they not be able to charge a fortune for parking because there's no parking nearby? When would retailers not want to pay an absolute fortune, to have their brand next to gate five at Sydney airport or in the international departures hall? And so those things make this a really, really reliable asset and, Again, infrastructure obviously being, uh, you know, something that is used by the public uh, for a particular purpose. Again, toll road is another. A gas pipeline might be another type of infrastructure asset we think about. Water utilities, uh, telegraph poles, for example, and wires, they're infrastructure assets. They are previously publicly owned, but now privately leased for the most part that allow the governments to make some money, allows the individual investor to invest in an asset class where the demand is normally reasonably safe, not a lot of volatility. Profitability can be reasonably assumed. And so it's a really nice bit of cash flow. And generally, they're not high growth businesses either, by the way. The number of planes going to Sydney Airport, probably not going to grow massively. It eventually hit a, a cap anyway, because there's only so many planes you can land, particularly with the curfew in place. And so to some degree, you're buying a lower growth asset generally with really nice income characteristics and a really defensive nature. That is, it's not likely to to fly when the market is sky high, nor is it likely to crash when the market falls. It tends to be a bit of ballast for your portfolio.
2: And of course, it's always important to understand what's going on in your own superannuation account. And when you see that line there about infrastructure, this is what we're talking about, isn't it?
3: There you go. Yeah. Exactly.
2: Scott Phillips, thank you very much for joining me today.
3: Thanks, Phil. Appreciate it.
2: If you found this podcast helpful, please tell a friend, especially if it's someone who needs to start thinking about investing for their future. You'll be helping them and helping me to keep this show on the road.
0: Shares for Beginners is for information and educational purposes only. It isn't financial advice, and you shouldn't buy or sell any investments based on what you've heard here. Any opinion or commentary is the view of the speaker only, not shares for beginners. This podcast doesn't replace professional advice regarding your personal financial needs, circumstances, or current
2: situation. And thank you for listening to my podcast.
1: Hold up. What was that?